As Ranti, Ranti just read, uh, we are continuing our series in the book of Genesis, and we're going to be looking at uh, chapters 9, uh, 1 to 17. And uh, to start things off, I uh, just want to give you a little illustration uh, up on the screen for you is a photo of one of my childhood uh, pride and joys. Uh, this is um, a trophy that I received from playing in our rookie ball baseball tournament in Toronto, Rexdale in 2001. My older brother and I used to play uh, with them a lot, um, and I still keep it to this day. Uh, the, the, as I look back on it now, uh, as a kid, um, I was so happy to receive this. I felt like I was the best player in the world. But all it says on the description here is that I'm a rookie ball player. It doesn't tell, you don't know how long I was playing in the game for. I'm no MVP. Um, I didn't contribute to the team as much as I uh, would have liked to. But it just acknowledges that I've played in the game, at least. My brother and I, at least for me, I played for two years uh, but I only have a one trophy because in the year in 2000, I missed my opportunity to play in the tournament. Uh, the night before the tournament, I stayed up all night uh, watching cartoons. You guys know how it is on Friday nights. Um, I was up till about like 12, 1 a.m. And that's when my dad caught me and sent me uh, to bed. He knew I had the tournament the next morning as well. And then the next morning, lo and behold, I wake up, uh, overslept. Uh, one of our uh, family friends came to the door, knocking on our door and saying like, Phil, we got to go downstairs. They're going to leave without you if you don't get there in time. So you got like five, 10 minutes max probably. And so I go as fast as I can to get ready uh, to get down, to get to the bus and go play rookie ball with all uh, the other uh, kids and, and friends. And I get there and it's dead silence. No, not a soul in sight except for the front desk clerk lady. And so I ask her, is everyone still here? And she's like, no, they all, uh, they all left. And uh, I cried so much <laughs> and uh, went upstairs back walk of shame to uh, our apartment and uh, saw my parents and, you know, I didn't get no pity. Uh, there was no, oh, poor you, poor child, you missed the bus. Let me go and drive you over to the, to the, to the tournament. No. Uh, kids today have it much easier. And parents, I think you need to step up your discipline a little bit. Uh, when I met my dad, all he said to me was, what did you learn? <laughs> and... <laughs> And I told him that I learned that I need to go to bed <laughs> on time uh, to wake up and be uh, present for these more important things. I stayed home uh, that, that day. I learned that tomorrow's responsibilities, I guess I'm still learning this, tomorrow's responsibilities um, are more important than squeezing in more fun um, this, uh, the day before. And I say all that to say that uh, sometimes experiencing loss uh, comes with some residual benefits whether it's like a past relationship or a job or just simply experiencing pain from our mistakes. Uh, there's often an aspect where uh, you can look back later and see that you've actually been spared from something. And that's a picture of God's mercy. You're not getting what you deserve. And, and there's also like a lesson or a new opportunity that may come later on in life. That's a picture of God's grace for you to do better next time, get in something that you do not deserve. Noah and his family here in, in Genesis 9 are now the only human beings left alive on the planet. Everyone else is literally part of the earth. The earth is, the world is recreated, 
but there's eight of the same people from the era before, carrying into this world some of what was of the old. And God in this passage here, he's going to show us some safeguards and signs so that humanity can thrive and have some hope for the future as they kind of pick up, pick up where they left off. See, a prophecy was made about Noah in Genesis 5 by his father. He'd bring some relief. It's a lot quieter on the earth right now. And, and, and the promise that God made to Adam and Eve that a seed would come and crush the head of Satan the snake is still in effect. And that's where we're at here today. And the question that we can be asking in Genesis 9 is, what did Noah and humanity learn from this? What can we learn from this? And God here does something to help creation. And our title for today's message is called After the Rain. Uh, But our big idea for today is up on the screen for you is that God's safeguards and signs protect and preserve human life. That God's safeguards and signs protect and preserve human life. And it's these things uh, that allow and encourages humans to thrive and live life as they are intended despite sin and its consequences. We learn two things after the rain here. And if you and I don't learn what Noah and humanity and creation learns here, then we are in a sense no better than those who were washed away and destroyed in the flood. So let me pray for God's help, and then we will get into our first uh, point. Uh, So Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, in advance that uh, your word does not return to your void, that it will accomplish all that it's set out to do. And so I pray that you uh, speak through me uh, and that uh, we all hear and uh, understand what our next step of obedience is, that as we go through your word, that we enjoy and are graced by you right into us uh, for us to learn uh, and receive instruction from what uh, you have done in creation. So I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so our first point, if you're taking notes, uh, is that after the rain... Uh, we learn that God protects the sanctity of life with safeguards. That God protects the sanctity of life with safeguards. This is a picture of God's mercy. So you can look with me in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so we see here God is speaking to Noah and his sons very similarly to how he spoke to Adam and creation when God made them. He told them to be fruitful and to multiply. But as Ronty read, there's obviously some noticeable differences that are in Noah and his family that they're all supposed to live by now in society. And what's amazing is that God just wiped out the planet Uh, but yet wants life to still continue. He's not hypocritical here. Uh, You you see, we must must not think that because of the flood that God does not value human life, but we are to see the flood as a preservation of the earth and life from being further corrupted and destroyed. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and then 11 to 12, I'll read, it says, And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of the heart was only evil continually. And in verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. In order to preserve life, God took it. And in his mercy, God spares Noah. And because him and his family have been spared, there's now these safeguards that they need to follow and justice to be upheld in order for them to thrive and live on God's earth. Up on the screen for you uh, lists uh, some of the differences between uh, what God mandated for Adam and creation and what God has now mandated for Noah and his generations. And so the only thing that is the same there is that uh, man is to be fruitful and to multiply. Again, quantity of humans was not the issue. It was quality of humans that was the issue. God still wants and desires for flourishing to happen in creation. He wants a lot of image bearers going out and living like God, living in his likeness. But now we see our first uh, difference in verse 2. It says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. And upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea, into your hand, they are delivered. So uh, what's shared is that both Noah and Adam have dominion, but what's different is that instead of ruling them, it's that there's fear and dread and then a deliverance into the hand of Noah. Because of man's violence and their sin, all the sins that they've done, the peaceful reverence and natural submission uh, that, uh, that, that was between Adam and or humans and animals are now damaged. Now animals have this fight or flight mentality towards humans. Adam at one point could have cuddled with a bear and like told a lion to sit and roll over, but now Noah can't do that without fear being involved. Animals have a fear for their life and a dread or anticipation that harm will come upon them. But yet we've still been given dominance uh, in, in creation through force and Wisdom. I love the Etobicoke Creek Trail and walking on it and biking on it. And whether you see one rabbit or 50 rabbits, they will run if you approach them. If one coyote is in front of you, you can, you know, scare and ward it off. But if three coyotes are in front of you, then you better figure out uh, a way to get out of there. When spiders and creepy crawlies enter your house, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What do they deserve for stepping into your domain and space? And Lord, forgive me for all the flies and mosquitoes that I've killed. Like, I leave them out in the open so that their families know to get out of my house before the same fate comes upon them. Uh, what the kids do when they see snails and on the road or worms or when they start getting to that age when they want to collect stuff. Now, now that spring is coming, the geese are getting cocky and, and coming around in our areas again. So I wonder what goes through the mind of these creatures when they see and interact with us human beings. And God is telling us that we cause that, 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 that damaged relationship with them. In verse 3, it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. 
And as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. God says that now everything is food for us. Uh, God expands their diet as a result uh, of fear and dread on the animals to now let mankind be omnivores. Uh, This actually also protects the population. And God says you can eat everything that moves. (laughs) Uh, To each their own. Uh, But God God is saying here that you just got to cook it. Uh, uh, God doesn't want Noah to be beastly, but to respect and honor life even when it's taken. And then in verse 4 to 5, it says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Some of your Bibles there may even say, surely I will require. The same language used to warn Adam about eating from the forbidden uh, fruits. You see, God views human life as the most important and valuable thing on the planet. And to safeguard man's evil and uphold uh, respect for image bearers, God institutes capital punishment here. Even on animals that murder humans, God makes society responsible uh, to bring about justice when human life is taken. Man should have known how valuable humans were prior to the flood. And this law here is to help mankind not forget how valuable people are. The safeguard is to restrain uh, the people here. God here as well isn't talking about uh, things like war or or, uh, self-defense, but cold-blooded murder like Cain and Lamech. You see, God wants us to understand that you and I are all family at the end of the day. That word fellow man in verse 5 actually means brother. It's the same word used to describe Cain and Abel's relationship in chapter 4. And if you even look with me in verse 19 of chapter 9, It says, these three, Noah's sons, uh, were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth was dispersed. See, I do this with my uh, youth ministry all the time. I tell all the kids to, to look around. So take a moment, look around the room. Look beside you, behind you, around you. If you have the confidence, you can tell them your family. Uh, God wants us to understand that we are all related. You can in God's eyes, ancestry, ourselves, back to these three individuals. We all come from Noah's family. The other thing that we are to learn that even Pastor Ted shared in in God's image bearers related to to family that we are from the same uh, source is that 99.9% of humans are identical on the same level and God then gives another reason besides the motivation of being family. In verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is a poem here. And God wants us to understand that life and death is not for you and I to determine. Uh, to, to murder is to assume God's throne and rule and to enact social justice for it's for the good of society and upholds God's values and standards for human life and flourishing. 
Well, the people of Israel read this passage first, and we can answer the question why it was important to them. Uh, and, and in Exodus chapter 9, verse 1, on the screen for you, it says, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Israel here is gaining insight of not just where they are going, but why. That humanity only thrives when creation is submitted to God. Creation is to live in worship and obedience to its creator. There's, there, this is always God's intention. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, Moses says this to the people. After giving them the Ten Commandments, they are fearful when God is speaking to them. But Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. That God's laws, again, are to safeguard us from sin. God's not some petty lawyer just dropping laws because he wants to make life uh, uncomfortable or overbearing for us. But God adds laws because humanity is growing in their proneness and likeness to continue growing more evil over, over time. God's laws don't come from assuming your sin and motives. They are actually aware of your sin and motives. And it's right for us to then trust God with his commandments and experience why it is a benefit to ourselves and society as well, even the consequences and justice as well. Last thing for Israel is Leviticus chapter 26, verse 6 to 7. It says, I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid, and I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Israel also learns that the one that brings about safety and success is God alone. Uh, that, that he is the one that brings deliverance from their enemies. God brings fearful and dreading animals into their hands, and God also brings Israel's enemies into their hands. What God is communicating is that they only need to prioritize their obedience relationship with God and view him as their protector, provider, and God. And one thing for us, both of Israel and us today, is that starting over doesn't really fully change us on the inside. And therefore, we shouldn't see everyone else as the problem. Uh, we'll see this even as Pastor Ted preaches next week, what happens after Noah gets this covenant. Uh, but we will most likely make similar mistakes even after experiencing God's mercy and given his safeguards. What else does this mean for you and I? Uh, that God's laws are for our own good. Uh, they're not killjoys, but they, but they prevent and curb sin so that humanity can thrive. And the other thing is that we are free in Christ to eat what it is that we want. But with this same knowledge, uh, there should be freedom and the, the willingness to let things go for the sake of our brothers and sisters. God says in his word to kill and eat. You could even eat those rare steaks and sashimi if you want to. Uh, I prefer medium well and uh, barbecue sushi, but again, to each their own. We are free to eat and free to let go as well. What we need to understand is that you and I are not entitled to anything. 
And therefore, every sparing moment, every sparing situation or season is a mercy of God to not continue sinning, but to learn from the past and play and put into action uh, God's safeguards and walk in obedience. Again, God's safeguards and signs preserve human life. And, and it's when we acknowledge this, we, we thrive and live joyfully. So after the rain, uh, we learn that God protects the sanctity of life. And our second point of the night is that uh, we learn that God preserves life uh, with, with, with signs. That God preserves life with signs. You can look with me now in verses 7 to 11. God says, And you, be fruitful and multiply, Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God again reiterates the blessings that he mentions in verse 1. He wants humanity to flourish. And now after giving Noah some safeguards, God has now given Noah something called a covenant. And so a covenant is, is an agreement made between two parties that agree on promises and conditions. There are often long life lifelong commitments uh, which the people offer themselves, kind of like a marriage. A ceremony is involved in which sacrificial animals are cut in two and they create a path and, and the two parties hold hands or lock arms and walk in between uh, the, this path. And they're communicating and even bringing on a curse, so to say, to them that if they don't follow through on these promises, then they deserve to be cut like one of these animals. If you notice, God didn't say, I'm making a covenant with you or cutting a covenant with you. He says, I establish my covenant with you. He says, behold. He says, look. Uh, God says the same thing in Genesis 6, uh, verse 18 uh, to 19. Uh, God says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons, wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring two of every sort of sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. So that word established there means simply affirming or upholding a covenant that is previously made. Uh, God's doing something to show that this covenant, whenever it was made, is still in effect, like a married couple doing their, uh, renewing their marriage vows later on in life, even though it's the first time that we're seeing these words being used. So it's believed that, that, that God made a covenant with Adam when he crea- in the creation of Adam and when he gives him promises and blessing at creation. See, Adam and Eve were, were, were told to be fruitful and multiply. And, and even though they will surely die, it's the promise, if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God made them skins. Uh, he preserved life. He gave them a promise that a seed was going to come and crush the head of the snake. And this is possibly why God tells his people time and time again to multiply in whatever land they are in. 
He is continually building upon this initial covenant because God intends and wants humanity to thrive. What God is doing is that the earth that God made, God is guaranteeing that life will be preserved despite its consequences. And what's important is that God is always the one who is doing the preserving, giving creation what, is, what it does not deserve. This, again, is God's grace. And the type of covenant that we see here is what we call a unilateral covenant. Noah says nothing. There's no text for Noah to say anything. He doesn't, he doesn't do or, 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 or contribute to the covenant. God takes all the responsibility to initiate, to keep the covenant as well. Now look at me in verse 12. It says, and God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God gives a sign and a sign in the covenant is used to encourage and remind participants that they are in that same covenant, like wedding rings. Uh, uh, this is, I don't know why, it's, uh, me as a single guy, I keep using uh, marriage uh, illustrations to communicate uh, this covenant, but this is just the best illustration to use. And, and, and this bow here is what we call a rainbow. So up on the screen is a, is a slide. These are the best photos I found, but it doesn't do it justice. You have to see it in person. And if you remember when you were in school back in the day, uh, rainbows are seen when light uh, wavelengths refract, retract uh, within water droplets. They bounce within water droplets at a 42 to, to 50 degree angle. And because the wavelengths have different speeds, they come out in visible colors. And they will always come out in these colors and always come out in this order. God tells us that this is God's bow. And that word bow here actually means a hunter's bow, like a weapon that is used for hunting and for war. God is now using it as a sign of peace. It's like those movies that you watch and like after the war, after that massive battle, that main character, you know, throws his sword or spear or gun into the ground and goes, never again, like we're not gonna come back to this. It is over finito. Nowadays, we love the movies where uh, uh, it's, it's the retired vet. Uh, somehow his daughter gets taken like three times or his dog gets killed or you just irk him in any ways. You, you just goofed and messed with the wrong one. And now he gets to go to his secret chamber, you know, sharpen his weapons, oil his guns, and he just goes to town. That's entertaining for us, but God, God's not like that. What the text is communicating here is that when God places his bow in the cloud, it's like it's hung up. It's kept there. Another way to look at it is that the bow is even, in fact, aiming towards someone else to take God's justice instead of the earth. In verse 14 to 15 now, God says this. He says, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
Some of your Bibles in verse 14 may, may say, whenever I form clouds instead of bringing clouds, God here may be perhaps ushering in the water cycle here, that he is the one who is actively causing rain upon the earth. The flood would have been the first time Noah and creation would have seen rain, and Noah hasn't experienced rain yet outside of the ark and may not even know what a rainbow looks like. That even though all the time that we will, all the time that has gone by in history of wars, genocide, homicide that take place on the earth, every time God forms clouds, he will see his bow and remember and then not flood the earth. There's only a few animals, handful of animals that enjoy being out in the rain, uh, but most wildlife flees for shelter. Noah would have had great fear when he saw the next cloud produce rain, but then experienced great joy when he sees God's bow. Uh, a, a commentator named Franz de Litch uh, says this on uh, God's covenant and sign of the rainbow. He says, stretch between heaven and earth, it is a bond of peace. Between both and spanning the horizon, it points to the all-embracing universality of the divine mercy. In verse 16 now, God says, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And what we're, what we're seeing here is that God will remember, as Pastor Ted taught uh, us, us last week, uh, uh, what's happened is that God is acting on a promise that he has made with someone. And the, and the illustration for us is remembering that there is a time gap between when a promise is made to when an action is done. And in God's grace, he illustrates what that gap looks like. Uh, this helps us uh, see God's compassion and thoughtfulness for us, that God will still act upon his promises even when time has gone by. Maybe even as sin has gone by, God still does what he has promised. Weather forecasting today assumes that there is about 108 to 117 rainbows a day. And that number is supposed to even go up by 30 or 40 as global warming um, <laughs> continues to, to, to take place on, on the planet. Uh, that God is remembering these, his promise that many times a day. If you were to read Revelation 4, uh, as John is in the throne room of God, when he sees God, there is a rainbow that surrounds the throne. That peace is on the mind of God. Again, what does this mean for Israel? In Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 to 5, uh, God says this to the people. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Israel learns that the rescue 
comes before the covenant. That God, instead of forcing obedience and perfection prior to a rescue, saves and gives obedience the motivation of thankfulness. The other thing is that we learn that God's mercy is consistent. Noah and creation get a rainbow here, but the people of Israel were given the Passover, that God saw the blood on the doorpost and preserved life amidst judgments. But a question that we can ask ourselves is why did God establish this covenant? What did this covenant as well have to do with grace? And the answer is found in uh, uh, chapter 8, verses 20 to 21. It says here, uh, Noah, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. See, in Genesis 7, God told Noah to bring seven pairs of all clean animals into the ark with him. And now when he exits the ark, he offers some of every clean animal on an altar as a burnt offering. Again, two new words that we haven't seen used in the book of Genesis till now. But we learn if, in Leviticus 1 that a burnt offering also means ascension offering. And that uh, th- this act is when, we, it's when a, a whole animal is sacrificed. And this communicates uh, that it's a gift, an act of worship and devotion. But it's also an act for atonement to cover sin. That something else has taken your place in light of what you deserve. Noah in this act of faith, worships the Lord. And like a high priest makes a sacrifice, an offering for creation. He sacrifices every animal known to man for creation. And, 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 and because no one knows that he's not perfect. Uh, and being rescued from judgment is God's mercy that nothing that came out of the ark uh, deserved to enter the ark in in the first place. God is not pleased with the death of the wicked, but is pleased with the innocent uh, offering of every clean animal known to man, like a substitution has taken place for creation. That, that God receives this and then guarantees grace, something that creation does not deserve, a promise to never again flood the earth again with water. And so an offering that pleases the Lord that leads to preserving life and guarantees safety from judgment, future judgment. That should ring uh, many bells in our our heads. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 to 27, it says, uh, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus brings, this person obviously is Jesus, he brings about a new covenant, one that is unilateral. You see, you and I, uh, we are everything opposite to this 
guiltless. Uh, uh, we are unholy. We are guilty. We are stained. We are associated and can identify as sinners, have fallen short from God's standards. There's no way for you and I to please God in and of ourselves. But Jesus, in his mercy and grace, takes God's judgment. He lives for our sake and dies in our place and welcomes us into a new covenant by faith. Jesus does everything that is required for this. And that if you and I acknowledge and confess our sin and believe and follow Jesus, we are forgiven of all our sin and given God's, Jesus's righteousness. That when God sees us, he sees us as a, as a righteous creation, able to please and obey God, the cross is our ark. And the rainbow or sign that we have in a new covenant is communion. Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 20 on the screen uh, says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Matthew teaches us that this, that this blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, is a meal that we are invited to, uh, that, that we can then give thanks for what God has done. We partake of the bread and drink, which symbolize Christ's body and blood that is broken and shed for salvation. And Jesus tells us uh, to do this in remembrance of him. It's a commandment. You see, in God's covenant with Noah, God gives Noah a sign so that God himself remembers. But in the new covenant, God gives us a sign so that we can remember. When you and I remember, it's not that we've forgotten, we are doing an action of giving thanks and proclaiming that we have been washed clean and forgiven by God as recipients of his mercy and grace. And just like Noah, since we have been spared uh, from what we deserve, we are now righteous because of what God has done, but yet we're still obligated to, to communicate thankfulness. We don't offer something else on our behalf. We offer ourselves. Last verse for you in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God's mercy that is experienced in the gospel enables us to be acceptable to God. That by the way we live our lives in obedience, you and I can actually please God. And it is our duty for us to do that as those who've received his mercy. And there may be some of you in this room uh, who are still receiving a breath in your lungs. Uh, you've been spared from some serious situations and seasons, but you have yet to give thanks to God with your life. You think you deserve your life, and it shouldn't be given to Jesus. But the Bible tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. In the story of Noah, it's only Noah that had favor with God but yet God spared his 
family. You see, all those times that you have been spared, those times where the gospel has been shared with you, that is God giving you the opportunity to come to Jesus. This is a call for you to experience God's mercy and grace and enter his covenant by faith. Because God, who is the Holy One, who the rainbow surrounds his throne, he is coming again, and he's coming again with fire. And believers have nothing to fear because they have received God's mercy and are in the new covenant. So uh, let's pray that we uh, trust God with his safeguards and and grow in our thankfulness uh, for the signs that he gives us as we uh, live in obedience and await his uh, return. So Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, God, for your mercy. And we thank you, God, for your grace. Uh, that, that you have come to us, that you have lived and died for us, and you didn't just give us a fresh start or a clean slate, but you've changed our hearts and you've made us righteous in your sight. And I just pray, O oh Lord, that we um, uh, can agree uh, with that and trust you that, that we have been made clean, that despite... Um, uh, our weeks, Lord, that uh, if we have been, if we have confessed and believed that we are justified in your sight and we have the ability and freedom to come to your throne and offer ourselves and to live a life uh, that is pleasing to you, not because we need to earn favor with you, but because we do have favor uh, uh, with you. And so I just pray for those here, Lord, who um, do not know you, uh, that you may continue to uh, reveal to them how merciful and kind you are. May every time it rains, as we enter the spring season soon, as we see rainbows, um, that we see uh, your, your peace and, and be reminded of your compassion. So I pray all these things in your name.